Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast. We dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and business people that are out there making it happen. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Tom Waterhouse on the show that's got an incredible journey of business success. He's uh, a four generations part of the Waterhouse family, the famous Waterhouse family in the racing industry, where they've pretty much done everything from being bookies to trainers, you name it, in the media. He started his online business, TomWaterhouse.com, which really took off and then was bought out by betting giant William Hill. And then through another transaction after being CEO, he then repurchased it again and started uh, TomWaterhouse.com again, but this time with betting secrets. And he would describe it as a bit of an innovative way into the industry again, the Travago of betting. And we talk a bit about that throughout the show. He's got an, uh, an investment firm. He's been on Dancing with the Stars. He's had an incredible journey, and we get, dive into all parts of that journey. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Tom Waterhouse. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and business people that are out there making it happen. And I'm really excited to talk to Tom Waterhouse today, who's got an incredible story. He'll fill a bit about that out, but you know, he's a part of a four-generation famous racing family um, that have done pretty much everything in racing. And then he, uh, what I describe as modernizing bookmaking and went on and and built an incredible brand around his name and then sold that business or CEO of that business and now he's innovating again back in, um, I guess, in the racing circles in a a different way with what he would describe as a Travago of betting. Maybe that's what he'll describe it as, but um, betting secrets, you know, he's done a lot of things in his career and he'll share that, even a, a, a stint on Dancing with the Stars. So welcome, Tom, to the show. No, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, I really appreciate it. Cool. And, and I always like to, I guess, you know, I, I, I do an intro, but I don't often do it justice. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your story and, you know, being, I just shared with you a bit about my um, upbringing um, in backwards and forwards from the racetracks and the glitz and glamour of, you know, being a part of, I guess, racing. Um, do you want to share a bit about your story and journey and um, provide a bit more context to it? Yeah, look, I, I grew up, um, my uh, whole family been involved in racing. So my great grandfather, grandfather, dad were all bookies and my grandfather on my mum's side was was uh, TJ Smith the leading horse trainer in his day and then obviously Gay has been a great success training and and so I grew up in this household that everyone talked racing and my sister and I we just hated it we thought this is the most boring subject in the world and and we used to just go well can't you talk about anything else and I was on a path thinking I was going to go into stockbroking or something to do with the finance world I was studying um finance and marketing at, at university and, and doing work experience um, on the trading floors, futures exchange in, in Sydney and thought I'd go into that industry. And uh, my dad just said six months into my first year at uni, look, would you uh, want to come and help me at the races? And I went that day with him and just fell in love with it. It was just so uh, 
so much action, fast paced, these big bets. And I went, how come I didn't know about this? And said, look, I'll come any day I can. Changed around my whole timetable and started working at the races. And, and really it was um, my career uh, really took off thanks to my, my dad because he was a, or he is such a great father in that he has unlimited faith in us as kids. And he just, six months in, I knew nothing about betting or racing really. And he had to go to New Zealand and he said, look, I have to go away for a while. Would you like to run my stand? And you can win or lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. And no one in their right mind would really let a 18 or 19 year old take charge. But he said, look, just follow these few simple rules and, uh, and you'll be right. And um, so I went to the race and worked, worked, ran his stand for him and followed those rules. And luckily I won probably the first 20 meetings I worked just out of luck and following what he told me to do. But it gave me so much confidence and I went, look, this is what I want to be doing for my career and, and life and, and uh, got a bookmaker's license, worked at the dogs, worked at all the provincial meetings, formed a partnership with my, my grandfather and my grandfather was uh, the biggest bookie in the world in the 60s and 70s and, and he came and taught me a very different type of gambling to my dad. My dad is a form analyst and, and, a, and a statistical mathematical genius and my grandfather is a gambler a huge big picture thinker and so I, I got to learn from him we fought like cat and dog for the first five years of us working together and he was right about everything um, I, I thought there was only one way of doing things the way my dad taught me and he was so different I've, I fought against it but we formed a great partnership and went from the smallest bookies on the track to holding more than all the all the bookies combined in the racetrack and and um and I just thought, gosh, I'd love to be working with my grandfather for forevermore. And then they changed the, um, sorry, they changed the tax in New South Wales. So I moved down to Melbourne and, um, and that was a, a tremendous uh, sort of, uh, I didn't realize, but really lucky uh, to make that change because in Melbourne, you could offer a whole bunch of different products, uh, a product called Best Tote. I had access to the internet. I had all these new punters down there. And the business exploded. It went really well. Um, and so I loved being a bookie in the middle of the rails at Flemington, Derby Day. Like over the four days of 2008, Melbourne Cup Carnival held $20 million, um, more than all the other bookies at, at Flemington combined. And, um, and just thought this, I hope I'm doing this in the middle of the rails of uh, Melbourne forever, Flemington forever. And then the internet came in, iPhone came out. Uh, not the internet came in, but iPhone came out, 3G connection, advertising laws changed, and this corporate bookmaking business area took off, and suddenly the money from the track died. And so in 2009, I moved to being a, a telephone-only bookmaker, and that was a, a, a trading business, um, uh, basically um, taking bets from tough punters and, and trading, them trading them away with other bookies. Um, using my dad's my dad's form to know which bits to keep and then finding clients to bet very big and basically just betting them what they wanted. So it was a, a trading house, which was a great business for two years. But then the um, corporate bookies suddenly got better with um, uh, their data and analysis of their customers. And they said, well, we don't want these bookies or these people at WinOffice. And they started making uh, the amount we could get on much smaller. So that business went from being a really top business in 2009, 2010 to really being not much. And we transitioned then to online and thought, well, we'll just service our existing customers. 
with uh, an online business, TomWaterhouse.com, and and that just took off. It went from 100 customers in 2009 to quarter of a million customers in two years. And um, and I thought, well, gosh, this is going to be a business I want to stay in forever, and hopefully going to be bigger than TabCorp. And but the competition in the space grew the technology costs grew we we had three people when we started we had over 100 people within two years technology costs from a couple of hundred grand rose up to being tens of millions of dollars these corporates were spending on on technology and and more than that on marketing and so we need to find a partner we sold to william hill which bought uh they spent 700 million dollars buying businesses here in australia and we were a a slight add-on to those businesses, Sporting Bet and Centibet that they bought. And they said to me six months in, look, would you like to, to run these businesses for us and be the CEO of that business out here? And my family said, look, don't be ridiculous, Tom. Don't go and work for someone else. Um, but I'd never had a job, properly job before. And I thought, well, it's a challenge. And, and that was a great experience to work for a big corporate and, and run part of their multinational like here in Australia and, we had offices, but the Australian business had offices in the Philippines, in New Zealand, Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, so it was a, a significant operation, 500 people, a couple of billion dollars in turnover. It was a, it was a really exciting, different experience. And then um, William Hill sold the Australian business to the Stars Group, and um, and I was able to buy back my my brand, Tom Waterhouse, and and launched uh, a tipping business, um, trying to make members or punters better betters because most people love to have a punt but they actually haven't been taught by the likes of my dad or professional punter or bookie on how to actually win at betting and so we launched that and then launched well an odds comparison site um and in the app so that that's launched basically like the bookings.com of betting or the tinder of betting and um in the last year we've also launched a, a a fund focused on on gambling investments mainly listed gambling companies in the space and and really trying to take advantage of um, the growth in the US market and also in the area that I understand probably I feel I understand better than most is this business to business or this B2B sector in the gambling space and so those three businesses going back into startup mode and and running those three businesses has been um, a great experience and 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 I just really enjoyed the journey so far and 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 yeah feel very lucky that obviously had the experience and background and and heritage that um from my family and and that also um yeah i just love being part of businesses and growing them and and hopefully i can can continue to do so great a very interesting story and and i remember um when you did launch tomwaterhouse.com you did a lot of tv advertising what would you say your unique proposition would have been I guess your brand because of your four generations of family and history and all that um, was pretty compelling uh, but what was you offering a, a something different to the big betting agencies at the time when you launched on waterhouse.com so we thought about it uh, in this way in that we'd always are uh, when I was a kid Cole Tidy was the big bookie in Sydney and um, uh, in England William Hill was a, a big the big bookie uh, Victor Chandler, Paddy Power, they're all individuals. And um, I thought it was strange. And, and my dad and, and my aunt, we were thinking, well, all of these companies um, are called sports bet or sports betting or TAB sports bet. They're just URLs. And no one's got an identity or a personality 
behind it at the, at the time. And I, and I thought, well, I've always bet with an individual as a bookie. I'd want to do that online, know who I'm, I'm betting with. And, and we luckily have the, the family heritage and background and, and the brand awareness with the name and, um, and just launched as a, an individual and, and tried to differentiate through that. And, but our, that was one huge advantage. And the other advantage is we realised very early that TV with live sport worked. And so we were able to buy up basically all of the uh, live sport properties. We had the regional AFL. We were one of two people in the Metro AFL. We had Wimbledon. We had regional um, NRL, Metro NRL, um, tennis, uh, spring racing carnival. We, we basically locked in all the TV and sports TV. And that was... Um, that was a huge asset to us and, and our acquisition, well, yeah, we, we grew pretty quick in a year and a half from a hundred customers to a quarter of a million customers. And, and I think they were just the two areas that we got right. We obviously lucky, you know, had a brand heritage and background and, and capitalized on it by putting our, our name out there and then, um, and then got onto the live sport quicker than these overseas corporates got onto buying it. Mm. And with, with being a bookie, like I've always been fascinated um, by, you know, working out odds, for example, is is that you mentioned that your dad was really analytical, your grandfather used more intuition and gut feel by the sounds of it. What goes into creating, I guess, you know, what's, a, you know, an odds on favourite and, you know, a hundred to one horse? So my dad's a yeah he's a mathematical uh, genius. He he's um, he the way he looks about it is he tries to find factors um, to put into his model that the market underestimates or overestimates. And it might be a jockey chain or change or a trainer jockey combination or whether a horse is quickly backing up or whether a horse is um, one on the wet before or one on these conditions before or the wind or the it might be, and it's not to say those factors last forever, but it's wherever the market's overestimated or underestimated those factors. And he tries to work out um, with different weighting on those factors um, what he thinks the true probability of a horse winning in the race. And then he tailors his book or bets where he thinks the market's got it um, really wrong. So if a horse is well overs from what he's got it marked, he, he sees that as a bet. And if it's, it's significantly unders, well, he wants to lay it. And, uh, and yeah, he bets all, all over the world um, with uh, his betting systems and, and, and is still a bookie online with robwaterhouse.com and still goes to the track. And uh, I, I think he's really the, the last of those form bookies that take an opinion and spend hours doing the form. He gets up at three o'clock every morning and, spends hours going through the form and each runner um, where my grandfather, he wanted to play the man. He's like, basically give me any, any punter and I'll take him on. And over a period of time, uh, I'll beat him. And, uh, and in a way he's, he wasn't wrong in that the majority of punters lose and the winning punters have the job ahead of them that their factors that worked five years ago don't work or probably won't work in five years time. So his view of I'm going to keep playing the, the, the punter, keep taking him on and he's got to keep finding winners and beating the market is uh, not, if, if you've got the, the bank to do it, he's not, he's not stupid. And 
I was so used to the way my dad um, thought about bookmaking and betting, I couldn't see what my grandfather was saying. And really, thanks to the way my grandfather thought about it, we built a huge business um, over a period of time. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I grew to really um, respect both the way my dad looks and, and approaches racing and betting and also the way my, my, my grandfather does. Mm. And you you go to the track um, and all the bookmakers are all lined up together. They often have the same similar odds like that. Is there, you know, that everyone's, I guess, fighting for the customer. Um, but, yeah, is it something that you sit out throughout the week and, and say, look, at race one at Flemington, you know, these are the horses, this is how we work out the numbers? So the, basically it's changed a lot in that, the pre-post market, the markets go up on Wednesday after the fields come out with the corporates and the corporates, this is why there's often such big mistakes in the market early is the corporates have price assessors, but then they really uh, just come up with the odds, basically waiting off the other corporates. And so they're waiting for um, tough money or, or volume of money to come for a runner. And then they bring the odds in and, vice versa if if no one comes for the runners and come saturday they might go from 130% market to jump time 116% market but it's more of uh weight of money and the smartness of money that dictates where that market goes rather than them getting the form right at the beginning and that's not that's not wrong that's makes makes sense that uh, they've all built or they're building or have built great businesses out of doing that and that's a great lesson for me from when I started is there's no one way to be a bookie. Um, you, you know, there, there's people that are terrific marketeers and get a huge database of clients and win bookmaking. There's people that are form geniuses and, and there, there's, there's people that uh, are very good at, at client relationships and, and uh, there's people that are just good at playing the market of knowing when to get involved or not get involved in, there's no one way to win, and but there's plenty of ways to lose. And um, and yeah, the market's constantly changing. I think it shifted away from, as I said, my dad's probably the last of the really true form judges as a bookie. I think the market shifted away from those um, great form judges putting up their markets and and doing the analysis on 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 the races. But that doesn't mean that that's wrong. It's just the difference in market conditions. Mm. And what just um, before we move on into your business growth and innovation, etc., in regards to being a bookie at the track, and you said twenty, you know, you'd have twenty million dollar, um, you know, uh, uh, book days type of thing. What's that rush like? Like I know, just being a, a very small punter through the spring racing, and you know, the odd Saturday afternoon here and there, and I bet very small amounts, but there, I guess the rush is still there. Um, what's it like doing that? It's just, it was, it was just the best. It was just so much fun because um, we'd have uh, like a stack of big telephone clients, like guys having hundreds of thousands, if not half a million on things and, and they're betting race to race and you've got Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, and then Perth later on in the day. So you've got every, like 10, 20 minutes, another big betting event. And you're going through these highs and lows of winning or losing millions of dollars. And, and, um, and yeah, it's, a, it's, I guess for people that play poker, it's like going to a high stakes poker game. Um, 
every day and that's your job. And, and, um, and yeah, and I was just lucky that I, I had an edge really because of my dad's ability to do the form and his form system, uh, technology changing that I was uh, at the forefront of being able to see what was happening on Betfair and, and, um, have access to the, to the internet, which a lot of the bookies in other States didn't have. And also the, um, through family background and, and my grandfather and the name to build up a good client base of, of big betting customers. You know, they, they had trust in the brand that they could bet big and get paid and that we'd take them on. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, if I, if the market conditions were like they were in 2008, I would still be an on-course bookie and, and betting up and, and just thinking it was the, it'd be Christmas every day. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. And uh, what about, do you have a favorite story um, of being on the rails book bookie that uh, on your journey? I, I think the most, um, uh, I was probably the most scared or nervous and most relieved on 2008 Derby day because I moved down to Melbourne and I was the first bookie since my grandfather, 40 years in 1968 to come from Sydney to be on the rails at, at Flemington. And I, my grandfather came down for it. The whole family was down. It was a real big day for us. And for me, I felt like I'd, I'd made it, you know, I got to the rails at Flemington. This was going to be a huge betting day. It's Derby day. The crowds are massive. And I'm there with my grandfather and, and, and I lost $2 million that day and I was just so down and like, oh, isn't this the, the worst? My grandfather, he just was like, oh, well, it's just another day. What? Just, he was, <laughs> uh, just took it in his stride. But I was like, oh, but I had to go to the call of the card and I'd never worked to the call of the card before. And the call of the card is the day before Melbourne Cup and you let punters on uh, to win huge bets and, and, you're in front of a massive auditorium, maybe, I don't know, 800 or 1,000 people in there. And people are out yelling out huge bets at you. And, and you sort of feel compelled to bet them, but you also want to bet them because it's the Melbourne Cup and you're going to be holding a lot of money on the race. And, and I had a few big punters at the time backing things um, to win over a million dollars. And, and, but I'd already lost $2 million, um, $2 million on, the, uh, on the Derby Day. So... I was very nervous of coming to call the card. I've, I'm laying these things to lose millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, well, come Melbourne Cup with the extra money taking, I could be down five million plus after the first two days of the carnival. And normally you get that big bets 10 minutes before the race. And then within 10 minutes you go, oh, well, look, I've won or lost. You sort of can cope with it, but you never have to go through a night um, of trying to sleep with big bets on your mind because it's over by the end of the day when you're an on-course bookie. And so I'd lost the $2 million on the Saturday and, and at the core of the card and taking these big bets to win a couple of million dollars and, and trying to sleep that night. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe it. I've got these big bets. Gosh, I hope I don't lose again. And, and, um, and luckily viewed won the Melbourne Cup a 50 to one chance. And, and, uh, and yeah, we ended up having a great day on Melbourne Cup day and a great next uh, Oaks day and stakes day. And uh, so it was a huge sigh of relief and and also some anxious uh nervous waiting and, and also great to be able to spend it with with my grandfather and, and the whole family down there mm. and so you moved from say um into uh i guess that corporate bookmaking where you're taking phone calls into online and you all of a sudden had 
hundreds of thousands of customers. Like, how, what was involved in that process, like scaling your business to be online? Is that, um, you would have obviously picked up a lot of international people through that period too. So for us, it was really um, flying by the seat of our pants. Like we, I barely used email in 2008 and then running a, uh, by 2010, a, an organization with a, hundreds of thousands of internet customers and, and um, didn't know much anything about digital marketing or, or mainstream advertising or doing TV deals or, or um, hiring. And, and um, uh, literally we learn as we go and we, we started with three people and, and it grew really quickly and, and we was very lucky. Got um, a man called Sam Swanell who, who was our COO and, uh, he worked at Tote Tasmania and, and several other businesses before, and and he hired some really top-notch people to begin with that came in and started to corporatize what was non-course bookmaking business, and we we grew, we just grew really quickly, and and um, our whole thing was to hire young, smart people, and that stood us in great stead in that we all learned together. I, I guess in hindsight, I I wanted to get people that were young and smart and could grow with the business, there was a, a, a lesson that I learned of, of, of having someone that had a, had a blueprint of what, of how to run those businesses was also would have been a value in that this corporate bookmaking business um, had been around for 10 years in the UK or not 10 years. It had been around for at least four or five years in the UK prior. And they basically, the way they ran the businesses came into Australia. It wasn't Australia saying, oh, look, let's adopt the Australian model of doing it. All the corporates that are big now in Australia are basically from, from the UK or from overseas. And, and they ran their businesses very differently, basically managing the client, um, mass advertising, a uh, lot of uh, retention and reactivation. And that was, uh, that uh, we had to learn that on the run. And Luckily, we, we hired a great team like, uh, of people and, and they did a really good job of, of growing quickly, but we were really flying by the seat of our pants. And, and, and yeah, it was an amazing journey and amazing journey to be able to um, grow it and to that size and also be able to sell it to William Hill and have that, that experience with them. Mm. And I was just about to ask about the William Hill deal. Was that something that you was aiming to do in your vision or was it just they were looking to buy people? And No, I think at the outset I had hoped I'd never, ever sell in terms of being, we hoped to be bigger than the tab one day, you know, and, and um, I guess that it was a combination in that we grew so fast and there were two things basically the cost of technology dramatically increased. So what they were doing with their, their platforms and their mobile apps and uh, like William Hill was the, the company that bought us. We spent tens of millions of dollars on, uh, on our systems and had hundreds of people in the IT department. Well, we were a startup business. Uh, we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on IT and on our systems. So we needed to really keep pace from a technology and a, and a customer experience standpoint. And also we um, knew that, I think we had got it correct of what properties to buy, the major sporting properties, but we bit off a big chunk. We bought them all. And it sort of forced our, our hand in that 
you really needed the, the taxes increased and you really need to have scale in the Australian market and we needed to find a partner. And so if, if, if there were no external factors, I think we we'll, would have loved to have kept Tom Waterhouse going and, and not sold, but you can't control external factors of, of whether it's tax increase, competitive landscape. And so in many ways, we had to sell. And we're just lucky that we end up finding a great partner in William Hill, be able to do a, what was in the time that we grew that business, a great deal of, of selling it to them. And then, and then also having the experience of being able to run that business for William Hill was um, just so interesting. And I learned so much from it, you know, and to be able to then buy the business back um, and the brand back was, uh, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate. And it was that because they were looking to, or they got bought out, I think you mentioned, and that was just. Yeah, the... They sold to the um, the Stars Group and, and they didn't use the Tom Waterhouse brand anymore. And and so I basically just talked with their global CEO and, and, and the global CEO of William Hill and I said, look, we're selling the business. You, you obviously don't need the Tom Waterhouse brand anymore. You're not using it. Um, and. I'd love to, to buy it back and, and they, they agreed to it and on the condition I didn't go into betting for, the, for two years. And, and, um, and so I just thought, well, what am I going to do with it? And then the, that sort of idea about, well, there's so many customers out there that love punting, but over the long period, they, they're not winners. And it requires, it's, it's not hard to win at punting. It just requires, basically, discipline is probably the number one but you need to work out what you're going to back. So whether you've got a form system or you watch the videos or you do some type of analysis where you have some edge, you then have to work out how much you're going to have on that selection. And then you have to get on at the best price. And that's, that's really simple when you say that to someone, but to actually follow that and do that when, I don't know, when you've had a couple of beers on a Saturday at the pub and you're like, Oh, I just like knackers in the next. Well, do you really want to open it and have funded 21 corporates? And do you want to make sure that you're getting $4.60 rather than $4.40? You know, it's, it's, it requires discipline. And, um, and I just tried to build a business that helped punders and showed them the value of having that discipline. And, and, and that took off, you know, and, and luckily the, um, the, the tipping business has been a really good business for us the last couple of years and, and just tried to build on that that mission statement of making our members betters and sorry making our members better betters and that's why we've um, worked with bet makers and dynamic odds to to launch um, the odds comparison app in the Tom Waterhouse app and um, and also why we've launched a, a fund focusing on gambling investments um, really trying to leverage off the areas that we that we know and we think we can um, that we've got some key selling point in the market. Mm. And just to elaborate a little bit on that, just in case there is people that, you know, are this weekend punter but really go home empty-handed, um, your, you mentioned the Travago betting, Tinder betting. Do you want to just explain how that model works as opposed to being a bookmaker? Um, just So, look, I, I love a business called Dynamic Odds. So whenever I'm, I'm looking at um, where to bet, I use Dynamic Odds. It has all the bookmakers as a comparison site. And I, 
we we're investors in the in the company Betmakers, which which owns Dynamic Odds, and and uh, just chatting with them for a long time, I said, look, I've got all of these people that uh, get this tipping service and want to be better betters, um, but I'd love to incorporate your technology into our app. And so the solution we've come up in the Tom Waterhouse app is where you can place a bet in two clicks. You can use the same username and password to sign up with all of, I think we've got nearly 10 bookies in the, in the app, sign up with, with all of them with one username and password and uh, allows them to look at any race, see who's the best price, click on it and place their bet within two clicks. And um, really just tried to make it fast and easy for people to not only get the best price, but put their bet on. And, um, and it's been the, the team in here has done an amazing job, I, I think, of, of building it quickly. And also credit to Betmakers, their amazing technology company. And uh, the guy that built Dynamic Odds there, Carl, he's a, he, well, he's a visionary in, in this space. You know, he, he came up with um, the concept of, of having this odds comparison site in the Australian market. And, and it's been a great service to those punters that, that want to win. Mm. And you've also do have an area that's where you're giving your best tips or best bets, and that looks like nearly a membership model. Is that how yes. you describe it? We we send out a free our best bet for free each week to anyone that's got the app. Um, but there's a whole series of subscription model or subscription packages that you can take for our um, five best bets on a Saturday, twenty best bets, a daily best bet. And uh, so you can basically have any of those subscription packages um, uh, on, on, on our site. And, and basically, we're just trying to show members what our selection is, why we've selected it, how much to have on that selection, and, and what price is the best price in the market to, to take it. And, uh, and yeah, it's, luckily, it's had great performance over a long, long period of time now and uh, last two and a half years and, and a really supportive um, membership base that that or seems to get a lot of value from it mm. and also you uh you've got listed as you're involved with an investment firm listed reserve is that oh, listed reserve yeah no so it, it, this is a really interesting business in that we saw when i was um running the australian business for, for william hill we had 200 people in the philippines and and we had uh, uh business in tel aviv and i saw a lot of um before we built that business up in the Philippines, the Australian side of it, um, we were looking at where we could get uh, more resource or, or lower cost um, uh, team members. And so we looked in India, we looked in Taiwan, China, uh, uh, Philip, or we ended up in the Philippines and basically looking all around the region and saw a lot of um, competitors in the space there and went and saw their operations. And I was just blown away by how much turnover they were doing with cryptocurrency. And I couldn't believe this is 2014 or 2015. And I, probably 2014, I hadn't really heard much about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And um, I just couldn't believe the volume in turnover that they were holding. And I was like, well, if, if they're holding so much money with cryptocurrency, whether it's Monero or Bitcoin or, um, uh, Litecoin or whatever, whatever was the currency they were using. I was like, this is an area I've got to understand because you don't see this explosive growth with something that's, that's fly by night. And so we um, looked at several different things with, with William Hill and, and used a consultant uh, company called uh, right click capital. And, um, and they, 
after my time at William Hill, they said, well, look, we'd like to look at um, uh, some sort of focused investments in the space. And would you like to come in and, and uh, jointly invest? And so the family jointly invested in a company called Lista Reserve with them. And, and um, it's a business that focuses really on, it's a funds under management business, is a primary business. It, it, um, it has a, a Bitcoin fund, a Bitcoin gold fund, a, um, a blockchain fund, which is basically an index of the top 20 blockchain assets. Um, but it's also doing a few other really exciting things in the space. And look, it, my core investing is I just stick to gambling because it's the area that I know, but I've really enjoyed learning more about um, this area. And I, I'm not an active, uh, it's not my active day-to-day -day, uh, being part of this reserve, but I'm an active, keen investor of that business and, and enjoy seeing what they're doing and how they're growing it. And, and, also the understanding of space and, and really uh, what I keep a close eye on is the growth in the gambling sector in regard to cryptocurrency. And I, and I, I don't see that slowing anytime soon. Mm. It's an interesting area and I sort of really, maybe Bitcoin would have been about $800 at the time I really started looking into, you know, that and then it just went through that rapid growth for a couple of years and, you know, it's sort of levelled out a little bit now. But I, I really feel that blockchain technology for many, many industries is going to be quite a fascinating growth area. So, yeah, gambling will be one of them, I guess. I guess the big thing, the reason why I took off in gambling is that if you're in China, for instance, it's very hard for you to get on uh, to bet with an online betting operator because, you, first of all, you've got to find a way to get your bank to transfer the funds or a credit card or anything to a gambling operator that's prohibited. And so you're going through all these intermediaries that it, uh, it's very hard for turnover to go from a place that's restricted to an online bookmaker in Gibraltar or in the UK and stuff. And, and this... Um, taking out the third party using blockchain and, and taking out the third party uh, is really allowed consumer to operate it to, uh, to grow very, very quickly. Mm. And what about just uh, in the horse racing industry, what's your best carnival experience? Is it overseas somewhere? Is it the Melbourne Cup uh, spring carnival? Oh, my, my favourite of all time was... Um, was my mum uh, winning the um, winning the Melbourne Cup in 2013 with Fiorante because the whole family went and uh, it was the first time because we'd sold the business to William Hill and I hadn't taken over the CEO role, CEO role yet. So I was there just as a, a person at the races. My dad found Fiorante. He had uh, said to Gay, look, looks terrific, the form in the UK. Obviously, Gay trained a first Melbourne Cup winner that day and and my dad had a mark six to four and it was six or seven to one. So um, back to bigger the call of the card and, and uh, it was just a terrific day. And just to see the happiness from my mum and, and the whole family and also my dad, it was a really special um, spring carnival and, and, and terrific day. Mm. And what about um, you mentioned that you've been to a lot of different places around the world. Do you have a favourite place to travel to? Um, Oh, for a racing standpoint, um, look, I love Happy Valley on a Wednesday night in Hong Kong. It's the best. Um, but I love for a trip um, going to Royal Ascot. It's just London and that week, it's just unbelievable. And, and uh, the top hat and tails, it's just 
you, you really feel in the in the moment when you have to dress like that and all of the the ladies dress so beautifully and and it's uh you've got the best horses from uk and europe there and also coming from australia you have some amazing australian sprinters that come over and also the us um wesley ward the horses he's what the success he's had and it's just really terrific and i um i love it i've been every year except for this year for i don't know how many years but um we take a, a large group or we have the last couple of years a large group of our platinum members uh over and have the week at ascot we um stay in mayfair there and we we go to all the best restaurants and go each day out in the on in a coach and and go to the nightclubs, Annabelle's and Lulu's. And uh, it's just a, uh, it's very, very good. And it, it's a very, uh, very fun week. And uh, yeah, I hope I'm, I hope I'm back next year, but if not, hopefully the year after. And just a question in regards to COVID and the current uncertainty worldwide, obviously as someone that lives, you know, one kilometre away from Flemington Racecourse and uh, a VRC member, you know, we're moving into spring carnival. Do you see much challenge and adversity with your business and um, and businesses uh, with the current uncertain times? Yeah, well, look, obviously with our... um uh, our platinum, our high roller, or the our bigger members. Um, it's been a big impact because obviously they can't get the service of coming into the office each week and can't get the in terms of travelling and and stuff. But I can't. I feel like I can't really complain in that. I just see what people are going through and hear what people are going through in other parts. Melbourne's a great example of how you guys have been in in lockdown and and also the other parts of the world look. But just if you've got your health and, and uh, you can be with your family and, and everything else, is uh, that's a blessing, isn't it? So I, I, yeah, I, I hope the, the racing, and we've been very fortunate, racing's continued. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just feel lucky that, uh, you know, my family ha- haven't been impacted by it and, been able to spend a lot of time with my kids over the last six months and, and the family. And even though you, parts of you, you want to have life going back to normal. I, I think I'll look back and appreciate this time that I've got to not travel and not have as much business commitments and because you get to spend it with your, with your family. Mm. And at the end of every episode, I always just have a few questions, um, rapid-fire questions. I don't necessarily have rapid-fire answers, but is there a book or anything that's inspired you to um, do anything that you've done in life? Yeah, oh, look, there's um, – I really like the Man for All Markets about Ed Thorpe. I thought uh, that was a really uh, good book. I don't know. He, he was uh, mathematics background. He just – top student uh, in the US and went and worked, uh, I think, at MIT in the early 60s. They had one of the first supercomputers and and he um, found a way to uh, basically win um, at the casino tables and, and wrote a book, I think it was called Beat the Dealer or um, anyway, I've, I've, I've a mind snap there. And, and uh, he then transitioned to um, professional gambler to then running a funds under management business and just a great story. And I just thought the, the parallels between investing and winning gambling and analyzing data and statistical models is very similar. And that uh, I found very interesting. And um, look, uh, 
I, I just I just try and take little bits and pieces from all different um, different books and it's uh, yeah I uh, yeah I, I enjoyed that from a gambling perspective and what about the best bit of advice you've ever received? Oh, my, my grandfather uh, always said everything works out for the best if you let it. And I think like when we were just thinking about COVID, then it's a good example of our mindset of uh, you sort of can get down and go, look, oh, things aren't the same or things are not. And just try and look for where you can positives of, uh, of things. And uh, uh, that served well in terms of business in that there's plenty of times I thought, well, I'm the king of the, world here i've got the best business and it's growing and it's going unbelievable and then you just my dad always talks about the invisible hand that every time you get ahead of yourself the invisible Mm -hmm. hand just comes and smacks you down Mm -hmm. and uh, so many businesses whether it's the on-course business the telephone business the online business william hill uh, like they at a certain point looked like they were amazing great businesses for for a very long term and then factors change that and but at every point i'm i feel lucky and i think it's a lot to do with my grandfather's mindset of letting things work out for the best or things work out the best if you let it is that each one of those changing conditions has forced me to go and do something else or change and uh and life's uh, a journey of of learning isn't it and i i feel even though i might have had the most fun on the rails at flemington i feel like i've learned so much over those 10 or 12 years since then and and feel blessed that I've had I had to change tack you know and and that those harder times of business conditions came and um so I I just try I I try and live by that Mm. and what about on the flip side has there been any advice that's been given to you that you just completely dismiss as like that's the worst advice that you could receive no I can't remember it if it's no good I just put it out of my mind I um no, I I can't think of. There's plenty of bad advice, but I just if it's bad, I'm like, oh well, I'm not going to think about that anymore, you know. So, and outside of business, family, is there anything you're super passionate about? Is it eating out at fancy restaurants? Is it travel, cars? No, actually not. I I, I just I really love, and maybe it's in what my parents have like instilled instilled in me. My mum gets up at two o five in the morning. My mom, my dad gets up at three. Um, they don't need to work, but they work so hard. And my mum always said to me, she's like, I don't care what you do. As long as you work hard, um, I'll be, I'll be proud of you. And, and I guess for me, it's just, I just love business and, and I love going to work. And, and when I'm not at work, I'm with my, my three kids and my wife and, and, um, just spending time with them. And, and, uh, that to me, yeah, I, I, when I was younger and, and single or whatever, I used to love like fast cars and all that sort of stuff. And, but life changes, you know, you sort of, um, you grow to appreciate different things. Mm, agree with that. Uh, what about the next three to five years for yourself and business? Oh, so I hope to um, keep this whole um, mission statement of making our members better betters, keep uh, the tipping business, grow the odds comparison business for them uh, and allow a much larger group of punters look searching for the best price and really focus on this funds under management business, focusing on this gambling um, fund of investing in businesses that are either gambling businesses or related 
to the gambling sector. And I hope to grow that over the next five to 10 years. It's, it's where I, both, I invest my, my money and, and I hope to grow that into a, a much larger fund that, than it is today. Mm. And I did miss a question just in your story and you said that you were looking to become a stockbroker before getting into the gambling uh, world. Um, do you ha- did you have any aspirations to be a Wall Street uh, investor? Look, I just my, – my dad said to me when I was a kid, he's like, if you go in an area where there's uh, lots of money changing hands, then if – if there's great volume of money, there's a chance that you might be able to, some might stick to you, you know, you might be able to make good money yourself. And the financial markets, they used to, when I was at school, they talk about Macquarie banks full of Macquarie bank millionaires, you know, like if you, and I just, it was more that I thought that was an exciting, lucrative space. I didn't, it wasn't really much more than that. And I, I guess the, I just fell in love with racing and the betting side of things so quickly when I was 18 or 19, just out, just starting uni. And uh, then I never really looked back. I guess now more of because a large part of our time is focusing on investment uh, in the gambling space is that uh, I have no aspiration of being a, uh, some big Wall Street banker or trader, but I, I do have um, aspirations of, of growing that fund and just sticking, but sticking very tight to the area that, that I know, you know, and I, I know I've been fortunate with the background that I've had in the, and the family that I've come from that I've been exposed to a large chunk of the gambling space and how it operates and really try to harness and utilize those skills to find companies that uh, are good long-term investments. And that's, um, that's definitely some, an area that I spend a lot of time on and, and will continue to in the, in the future. Mm. And where do people find out more about you, website? Um... So all of the um, tipping um, and odds comparison stuff is at TomWaterhouse.com website and Tom Waterhouse um, app. And then uh, the, the fund is WaterhouseVC.com. Um, Thank you. And from me, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time for jumping on the show. It's uh, been a great insight to uh, quite an adventurous uh, journey. And, um, you know, congratulations for all your success. Uh, No, really appreciate you having me on on the show. Wow, what an incredible conversation there with Tom Waterhouse and what a journey he is on and continues to go on uh, working across all areas in the gambling industry from being on the rails, that uh, the rush of the rails to online gambling, to selling his business, to rebuying it back and relaunching again, innovating. He's done it all. Um, if you like this episode, please share it with your contacts across your socials. It's super important to be able to get great guests like Tom on the show. If you haven't got a copy of my book, you've got one shot. Make sure you head across to craigschultz.com to get a copy of that book. At the end of every episode, we always say live life with passion and purpose. My name's Craig Schultz and I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.